Okay, we're rolling. Welcome back to another episode of the Tough Buckets Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Unger. It is June 27th. It's about 4 p.m. We just hopped on here. I just got off work and we're ready to talk some NBA draft and also some trades that have went down in the last uh, week since we've last talked. But I'm joined today by Jason Unger in Omaha, Nebraska. How are you doing, Jason? Doing good, man. Doing good. It's National Ice Cream Cake Day. So, I mean, how can you go wrong with uh, with uh, an ice cream cake? Well, no one told me that. Yeah, National Ice Cream Cake Day, dude. And it's also, I mean, what's crazy is all these days, There's they have like multiple days. It's also National Sunglasses Day. So, hmm. um you got that going for you, but yeah, man, it's it's a good day to go to a DQ and pick up an ice cream cake day. Jake, when's the last time you had an ice cream cake, dude? Uh, it's been a while since I've had an ice cream cake, but I've been eating a lot of ice cream, specifically from Dairy Queen lately. I can't lie. <laughs> I have dude, a, I actually have an ice cream sundae in my freezer right now that I haven't ate yet. Yeah, nice. It, it's 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 weird because. It's something that you can go without for three or four months, but then when you go there and break that seal, it's like you feel like you have to go there like every night. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm kind of stuck in right now. But uh, also joined by Sam Kavan down in Texas today. Sam, how are you celebrating your National Ice Cream Cake Day? Um, I'm not going to lie. I did not even know that was a thing. Um, <laughs> I might have to find some way to get some because it is about hot as hell down here so ice cream cake would be much welcomed so let's start off by talking a little bit and about the nba draft so it kind of went as expected uh in that victor Wembanyama went number one that's pretty much the only thing that that really happened that we predicted because a lot of things changed on draft night so going at number one victor Wembanyama goes to the spurs and personally i see him impacting winning in San Antonio from day one. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs necessarily, but I think they have automatic better season than they did last year. I think that when you pair him next to, I don't even know who they're going to have as center, really. I mean, Zach Collins, I think, is their projected starting center. I don't think Wimby, Wimby I'm going to call him Wimby because I sound like an idiot trying to pronounce <laughs> his name half the time. So I don't think Wimby wants to play center uh, full-time. So I think that they're going to have to find someone besides... Uh, uh what's collins uh what's his first name i just said it zach 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 collins yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. zach collins so they're gonna have to find a better five specifically a better defensive five to pair with him in the future but i think we're gonna see a lot of crazy highlight plays from him in year one i think it's gonna be a lot of fun down in san antonio so jason what are your expectations for victor victor wembim yama in his first four years uh in his rookie (laughs) contract with the san antonio spurs yeah, so what I did was I I I mean everyone is trying to compare him to another player that's, you know, played in the NBA. So I spent the afternoon, part of the afternoon trying to figure out a guy who I would compare him to and truthfully, it was pretty difficult because there hasn't really been a player as tall as him who has been able to do as much with the basketball as he can, especially around the perimeter. But really the only guy that I could compare him to as far as his impact on 
the NBA was Wilt Chamberlain. I, when, when Wilt came into the league, I mean, Bill Russell, we're, really you have to kind of put Bill Russell and Wilt together just because what they were able to do at the center position had never been done before, and they, you know, literally changed the game. I mean, they changed the rules for those two dudes. And when you look at Wemby and how big he is and what he's able to do with the basketball, I mean, that's the only comparison that I could come up with was Wilt Chamberlain and what he was able to do in the 60s and 70s uh, to the game of basketball. So, I mean, I think it's a slam dunk. I know a lot of people are questioning his uh, physicality and whether or not he's going to be able to handle the rigors of the NBA, you know, night in and night out. But the dude is so talented and uh, Popovich is so smart. Uh, he's going to put him in a situation where he can be successful. So selecting him with the number one pick was a no-brainer. And, you know, I think it's going to be a slam dunk for the Spurs. Yeah, I really like the Wilt comparison because not only did he come into the league uh, bringing that size that really hadn't been seen before, but he was also probably the fastest guy on the court in most games. So, And I right, think that's what right. Wemby's going to bring. He's going to be – he's going to move more fluid than – some guards on the court at some times, and he's going to be a better ball handler. Maybe not day one, but I think he's going to be a better ball handler than a lot of guards and forwards in the in the league eventually. So, Sam, what do you like about? I mean, what what's there not to like about Wimby onto the Spurs? But what are your expectations for them uh, moving forward here? Yeah, so for Victor specifically, I think immediately he steps in and becomes one of the, if not the best defender on the Spurs. Um, I think defensively, his skill set's going to transfer almost immediately. And yeah, you'd like him to have another 15 to 20 pounds on him specifically for, I mean, looking at the Western Conference for dealing with the uh, with Nikola Jokic or, you know, out elsewhere any other big center you'd like him to be a little bigger but I think just with his height and how I mean he has what an eight foot wingspan how long his arms are and and how quick he moves his feet for a guy that size I think defensively he comes in and makes a league altering impact right away um offensively he has every skill set imaginable really that either already or you can see it being added I think it takes him a little bit maybe a couple months of the season to really get adjusted to how the NBA works offensively um but I'm expecting like great things from from Wemby uh I saw something ESPN is giving him a 54 percent chance of being an all-star this season uh, we'll see how that goes because the all-star race every year is incredibly tight at the top. So um, we'll see how – well, I don't know about all-star first year, but I definitely don't see it being out of the realm of possibility. And then lineup-wise, um, I'm looking at the Spurs roster, and like you guys were talking about, I really don't know who you'd want to run at center there if Weminyama doesn't want to play it. Um if they ran a four-five combo of uh, Jeremy Sohan, Sohan, sorry, and uh, Wembenyama, I think that could be a pretty good combo there. Maybe have Sohan play more of the five. I don't, he's a little undersized, but um, he's a great defender as well. I, I don't know. I expect them to pull out some pretty crazy lineup combinations and 
just how the ball moves offensively. I think they're going to get kind of unorthodox with it, but that's what Popovich and the Spurs do best. So, I mean, man, I'm actually excited to watch Spurs games for the first time in, what, five or six years? Yeah, it's been a long time since they've been a, a must-watch team in the NBA. But you brought it up, Sam, that lineup with Wembenyama at, at center with Sohan at the four. I think Sohan, I mean, he's your guy. He's from Baylor. I think he projects to be the type of defender that we kind of saw Aaron Gordon turn into in the last two years next to Jokic. I think he has great potential to be an on-ball defender as well as a smart off-ball and, you know, even a post defender because he has the size. He's 6'9", and he's going to continue to put on weight as he as his, his role changes to the NBA. So I like that lineup because this might not be their starting five, but a lineup of Trey Jones, uh Vassell, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Jeremy Sohan, and Wimby. That's eventually that's a team that will find themselves in the playoffs. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different moves made to you know cater to Wimby Yama and, and the fit there. But I like what the Spurs have have going there, and I definitely like the pairing next to to Sohan. All right, so moving on to the second pick. This was probably the most discussed pick in our last podcast if you guys listened we begged the charlotte hornets not to draft for fit and to take scoot henderson because personally i've heard several scouts and several you know professional nba analysis say that in the next three draft class classes scoot henderson would go number one and the only reason he didn't go number one or even number two uh, we'll talk about that is because Wembenyama was in this draft so I think it was probably pretty foolish to pass up on a prospect that people say is a, is a one in every four years kind of prospect here that Sam compared him to Russell Westbrook last episode. I think that's a great comparison. I think he can, he can be even better because his mid-range shot has looked good and he can hopefully expand that to the three-point line. But regardless of that, the Charlotte Hornets went with Brandon Miller. And a lot of people say that the talent gap between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson isn't actually that big, isn't actually that big which I would agree. Brandon Miller is still an excellent prospect. He's got a great wingspan, and he's actually a really good shooter off the dribble. And I know that he was getting clowned on social media because he said that his goat was Paul George. But when you watch his game and his highlights at Alabama, there's a lot of similarities to to Paul George's game with the smooth step backs, off the dribble threes, spin moves in the paint to get open. I I do like Brandon Miller, and I think he will fit next to to LaMelo Ball really well. I think they're going to regret not taking Scoot Henderson, but we'll throw it to you, Jason. What do you think about the decision to go with Brandon Miller at number two? Yeah, I I kind of felt bad for the kid because, you know, all of Charlotte was just having a fit when they announced his name as the pick. But I mean, I, I think, I, I think his struggles in the NCAA tournament kind of turned some people off. Uh, you know, as far as considering what kind of prospect he was. But we have to remember, I mean, he was banged up. I mean, he was dealing with an injury in the NCAA tournament. He only made three out of 19 from behind the three-point line. And I got to believe, you know, kind of being slowed by that injury had something to do with that. And and I'm going to turn to the SEC tournament when he was the MVP of the SEC tournament and just kind of played lights out. I think I think that's the Brandon Miller that we can kind of expect. And Jake touched on it a little bit. He's a great shooter off the dribble. He can spot up and make threes. I mean, he's a big dude. I mean, he's 6'8", 
you know, I think they list him as 208, I think, as his weight. So, I mean, I mean, and who knows? I mean, he he's going to get bigger. He's probably going to play more like at 225. So you're going to have, you know, a guy who's uh, long and athletic and a good shooter, and he's willing to play defense. I mean, I, I, I don't think he's reached his potential defensively, but, you know, you coach him up a little bit, you give him a couple of years in the league, and I think you're going to have a pretty good player in Charlotte. So I, I wouldn't be too quick to judge that pick. I, I agree with you. I think Scoot Henderson is going to be a, uh, a really, really good uh, multi-time all-star in the NBA, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can go wrong with Brandon Miller at number two. Yeah, I Jason, you mentioned uh, Charlotte being distraught. I mean, I, I think that's the word I'd use to describe a lot of Hornets, the buzz around the Hornets right now, uh, no, pun, no pun intended, about taking <laughs> Brandon Miller. Um, but I saw this video. It was the draft, like the Hornets' official draft party at the arena in Charlotte. Did you guys see this one? And they announced yeah. the pick. So, like, you know, Adam Silver goes up there and he says Brandon Miller and the Hornets mascot, like the actual mascot in uniform, dropped his entire body, <laughs> like was standing there with his hands up and put his head down like he like he just, I don't know, saw an asteroid hit Earth or something like it. It was I mean, y- you hate to see the mascot of the team that just drafted you that upset over drafting you. Um, so hopefully Brandon Miller can keep that from going to his head. Um, and, and Jake, following up with what you were saying about, I mean, I don't know why Brandon Miller said this. Maybe he got the question confused when he said that Paul George was his goat. Maybe he thought it was <laughs> who he, he models his game after, or favorite player. Obviously, that's an absurd answer to the goat question, but I, I do think that he has shades of Paul George. Like, if everything goes perfectly with his career, he has a Paul George-esque ceiling. I just, I don't know. I feel like Scoot's going to be ready to come in and contribute day one. And obviously, yes, the Hornets are, or at least should be attempting to build something long-term because they're many steps away from being a, really a playoff team or even a fine, like not to mention a finals contender. Um, I don't hate the pick. If I were them, I would have taken Scoot Henderson. I don't. I I didn't think you could go super wrong with either of those two picks, but I think they did make a misstep here. So we just have to hope this isn't a um, Michael Kidd Gilchrist going after Anthony Davis type of situation <laughs> for the Hornets, and uh, that this one pans out a little bit better because apparently Michael Jordan, even though he just sold his majority stake in the team, this was one more pick that he had a large hand in drafting. So. Uh, yeah. let's see if he can help his reputation as a terrible drafter. Yeah. I mean, Brandon Miller is MJ's guy. I mean, there's clips of them talking on the phone, especially right after the draft. I, I don't think that it's a huge deal that they went with Brandon Miller. I think they should have went with Scoot, obviously, but I think a lot of people are overreacting and I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they realize that how good Brandon Miller actually is because I don't think I think more people are familiar with Scoot's game in in contrast to to Brandon Miller's in my opinion I think you're going to be surprised when he comes out and looks pretty NBA ready from from day one but we'll we'll have to see how that pans out but if you couldn't guess it already Scoot Henderson went number three to the Portland Trailblazers so another year another guard in the draft for Portland in this case it wasn't the wrong decision because if they would have skipped on Scoot Henderson with this pick i 
I would I wouldn't blame any Trailblazers fan for just completely abandoning that franchise. But they did. They made the right pick. And I'd say this is probably the easiest pick to make in the draft besides the number one pick in Wemby. Uh, Scoot's obviously NBA ready. His body is looks like a 24-year-old's as a 19-year-old. He looks like he's ready to contribute day one. And I think he's excited to be in, in Portland. So this is going to be interesting to see what they do with I mean I th- I assume they're going to keep Scoot Henderson. I don't I can't see them trading him trading him. I I think they would have done a deal on draft night if that was the case. They need to make a decision now if they want to move on from Damian Lillard uh and and build around Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson or if they want to just, you know, be mediocre again another year and shut Damian Lillard down at the end of the season like they've done the last 2 years. And I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast today, and it, it was driving me crazy because he was saying that, look, all the media that's saying that Portland needs to do this, and I think Portland and Damien should do this. And then he's like, which is true. It, it's it's not our decision to make. It's their franchise, and it's Damian Lillard's, Damian Lillard's career. But then at the end of the season next year when they miss the playoffs and you're criticizing them for not being good enough, we're talking about this in the off season. They need to make these decisions now. That's why we're critiquing them. We're not trying to make decisions for them. We're just saying that if they do this, it's going to result in another season of misery in Portland. But I don't know. That's just kind of my rant on the whole Damian Lillard situation. I know that this is a great pick for the franchise, and I don't think anyone should be mad about it, but they need to make a decision coming in the next few days. But What's your take on all this, Sam? I well, first of all, the pick itself. Um, love the pick. It was a no-brainer at three uh, to take Scoot Henderson because uh, at that point, I mean, you could say the Blazers could have considered drafting for fit, but it, the talent gap, in my opinion, between the second and third best prospects in this draft being Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, in whatever order you wish, uh, the talent gap between three and four was fairly significant in my eyes so I I love the pick I don't love the fact that they still have not committed to doing anything um we were just I it was either earlier this season or early in the offseason kind of made a offhand joke comment at the Wizards like yeah they're in mediocre like NBA hell you know where you're not a real contender but you're not committed to a rebuild so you're just wandering aimlessly um and the Blazers have been doing that with the exception of a couple years that they made those deep playoff runs just to get, I mean, uh, easily foreseeably blown out by the Warriors, you know, back in the day. Um, they have not committed to a lane. The Wizards, now whatever you may think of the specific trades they make, the Wizards have committed to a rebuild. The Blazers seem like they want to commit to a youth movement, but they also don't want to get rid of Damian Lillard who is not, like, he's just good enough, and, well, A, he's good enough, and B, he attracts too much media attention for you to really have a youth movement. I mean, when you have your franchise player, elder statesman, winning games for you, putting up crazy numbers, and then, like you said, Jake, inevitably missing the playoffs or flaming out early, you're going to get all this attention and criticism, and, and maybe the Blazers front office doesn't care about that, but they... In my opinion, I, I called on the podcast before the draft that if Brandon Miller went to, the Blazers are going to do a last-minute trade of the third pick before they just have some team either for pieces or to trade Dame and fully commit to a rebuild or something, but they didn't do anything. So I don't know. I, 
I, w- I would say that I'd be shocked if they don't make a trade by the end of the offseason, but I think I've been thinking that for about the last three or four years straight, and they ha- still have not done anything. So uh, we'll see. I honestly I, I can't even make a prediction about which direction they're going to go. Yeah, exactly. This is It's the same story every single year. And if they keep this roster as is and they don't really make any splashes in free agency, which I don't really know how they could. They don't have a lot of cap space and they don't have a lot of contract tradable contracts to make a move like this. They're just going to miss the playoffs or make the play-in tournament again. And we're going to be in the exact same spot. Well, my thoughts on Scoot Henderson is I, I think he's the most NBA-ready guy in the draft. I mean, I especially among the top five guys. I mean, uh, Wemby fans are going to be just killing me over that. But I, I think he's the most NBA-ready guy in the draft. And I say that because, like Jake said, he has an NBA body. Um, he looks like a 24, 25-year-old. He, he's going to fit right in to the rigors of playing night to night in the NBA. And the thing I like the most is his G League coaches talked about his work ethic. And uh, you don't always hear that among these new age stars. I mean, the fact that he's willing to put the work in and work hard, I like to hear that. So, I mean, if you're a Portland fan, I mean, you can't be disappointed in this pick, but I'm going to throw you a question, Jake. Say they stand pat and you go into the season with Scoot, Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Shaden Sharp. Can that line, I mean, can those four guys coexist in the same backcourt with the Trailblazers? Is that even a possibility? Personally, I don't think so. I think they can they can do it if they want, but I think that's just going to limit the growth of guys like Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson when they have to share backcourt minutes with Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, who those two guys like to, to get a lot of shots up. So I don't know. Right. If you do that, you're just risking the development of your of your two top five picks that you've gotten the last couple of years. So I, they can do it, but I don't think it's going to work, and it's going to be detrimental to the progress of, of their young guys. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I, I don't know. We're going to have an answer on Portland within the next few weeks, I, I assume. I think we're going to have some answers on what Dame's going to want from the team and if he's going to end up getting traded. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. I know I the whole situation frustrates me more than it should. We're going to have answers, like I said, soon. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a future episode. But the number four pick is also interesting because me and Sam in the last episode, we talked about how we thought Cam Whitmore might slide into that number four spot. But interestingly enough, he slid down 16 spots from the number four spot. He ended up going number 20. So we thought the Rockets were going to take him at number four, but they ended up getting to take him at number 20. So that was a pretty big win for the Rockets, I think. So they ended up taking Eamon Thompson, one of the two Thompson twins. So I thought last year with the two Jalen Williams going to the Rockets was confusing. Now I got to remember the difference between the Thompson twins. This is crazy. I mean, twin brothers getting selected back to back in the NBA draft. I think this will never happen again. So I think this is kind of an anomaly. I'm not really familiar with either of their games. Uh, I know one is a better offensive player and one's a better defensive player. The one that ended up going to the Rockets, though, is named Eamon Thompson. And uh, he's a a freak athletically. I mean, I've seen some highlights of his warm-up dunks. He's effortlessly throwing down behind the back, windmill 360s, just every kind of dunk he can do it. He has a 6'11 wingspan. 
he plays the game with a pretty good pace. But I know, Sam, you're probably a little more familiar with, with the Thompson Twins. So they went four and five. What do you think about their games? Yeah, well, I think you mentioned um, Cam Whitmore sliding to the Rockets at 20, which was, as far as fallers go, absolutely the story of the draft was um, – you know, he was the only one I thought that was supposed, like quote unquote, supposed to go way higher. That didn't. I mean, he fell well outside the lottery. I mean, they um, make, that I makes the, the Michael Porter Jr. drop to fifteen four or five years ago look like nothing. This is a huge, right. huge drop. Huge drop. It. It. For me, what I thought of was um, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., who's actually now on the Rockets, which oh, he may yeah. not you be wanted there for him much on longer. The heat. I wanted him. That was the year they took Tyler Hero, so ultimately I'm happy with that. But originally I wanted him all the way up there, and I he ended up sliding all the way to 30, didn't he? Yeah, he, um, was, he so, went 30 to the, to the Rock. Did he get drafted by the Rockets? No, I yeah. think the Cavs got him, right? Oh, the Cavs, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, like, initially I, that's what that reminded me of. Um a guy slipping that far, like 15 or so picks below where people thought they were going to go. I think the Rockets had, outside of the Spurs, Lanny Weminyama, I think they had the best draft um, just because they got this uber-athletic playmaker uh, in Eamon Thompson um, and then were able to get Cam Whitmore somehow at 20, which he must uh, teams must have seen something in his workouts, so that's not the – outright win that you might think it is there must be something going on behind the scenes there but i think they had a fantastic draft the thompson twins specifically uh i tried my hardest to find like concrete differences between these two and maybe it's just because they look so similar but even watching highlights i couldn't tell who is who uh <laughs> mock draft people like to maintain that one was a slightly better outside shooter than the other but that they're both poor outside shooters so i'm like okay at that point does it even matter um I, I, I'm going to be honest, I really don't know too much of the difference between their skill sets, but I really like the pick of the Thompson that the Rockets did take because he, I think he's going to be a fantastic backcourt complement to Jalen Green um, and kind of provide everything that Jalen Green doesn't in the form of defense and maybe some pass-first playmaking and now inside finishing is there for both of them. And Jalen Green can bring the outside shooting and the – shot creation I, I i really like that pickup and i think if everything goes well for those two in five years we could be looking at them as one of the better still young backcourt duos in the league i kind of agree with sam i watched some of the highlights and it's really hard obviously they're twins so i mean to say that it's difficult to tell which one from the other you know is probably a bit redundant but i kind of thought the same thing i mean obviously tremendous athletes i mean i you 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 can't dispute that uh guys who are going to make highlight real plays at the rim night in and night out and i think you know both have the body types to become really good defenders i mean they just have to grow up they have to grow into their bodies learn how the nba game you know is played but i i think they have the capability of being you know, good defenders. They, they, they can't shoot. Neither one of them uh, ha has a good jump shot. You know, maybe in time, you know, that will come as well. But the thing that I question is you are, you are adding two 
really young guys, I mean, I don't, are they even 20 years old? I, I don't think they're even 20 years old yet. You're adding, actually just turned 20. So you're adding two guys to the youngest two rosters in the NBA. I mean, when you look at uh, Asar Thompson, he's joining Detroit, and you could have four guys in your starting lineup between Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, uh, Cade Cunningham, and then Thompson. When you combine their average age, they're not even a, they wouldn't even be able to order a rum and coke at the bar. I mean, they're under, they're under 21 years old when you combine those four guys on that Pistons roster. So to me, that's my biggest concern. Uh, I'm a little bit, I feel a little bit better, you know, with the coaching changes, uh, both in Houston and, you know, in Detroit. You know, I think Yudoka and Monty Williams are going to be able to to deal with a situation like that. But to me, that would be the biggest concern is adding these two young guys who aren't even 21 yet to the two, what are the two youngest rosters in the NBA. So uh, you can't argue with the talent, but I don't know when you add, you know, two young guys to an already uh, really, really young roster. I just don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, I was just going to say, speaking on that youth movement, Cam Whitmore uh, doesn't turn 19 for another two right. weeks yet. Yeah, he's he's not even 19 years old yet. I mean, that's that's insane. So, But I agree with Sam. Sam brought up a great point. Houston, to me, to be able to uh, draft Eamon Thompson at four and then get Whitmore at 20, a guy who we thought could be in the top five, best draft to me, best easily the best draft. Uh, uh, on draft night in the NBA to me, for sure. Easiest, best draft. Yeah, I think they had a great night. Another team uh, outside the top five, I think that had a, uh, had a great night is the Dallas Mavericks. They ended up with a 10th pick going into this, into this year. They weren't even guaranteed to have this pick because, you know, if you don't remember, if it fell outside of the top 10, then I believe the Knicks would have got the pick from the Chris Apps Porzingis deal that went down four years ago. So, but they ended up getting the pick due to a little, you know, late season tanking that they ultimately paid the seventy-five k dollar fine for, which is just chump change to Mark Cuban. But anyway, they got the tenth pick and they traded down. Sam Presti took on a little bit of uh, salary cap for the Mavericks. This freed up about twenty million dollars. They traded the tenth pick for the twelfth pick and attached Davis Bertans to uh, that trade and freed up $20 million in cap and ultimately got the guy they wanted. I think they were going to take Derek Lively out of Duke uh, at number 10, but they were able to trade down two spots and also clear up $20 million in cap space, which is going to help them a lot this offseason. But like I said, they got Derek Lively, and he's someone. he was one of the best prospects in college basketball going into the season last year he kind of had an underwhelming season on offense he only averaged I think six points but he is a monster on defense he he gives he has shades of Robert Williams the third for the for the Celtics that's who he kind of reminds me of and I think that is the perfect guy to take in the draft uh for the Mavericks who were just an embarrassingly bad team on defense last year because I think the the best the most NBA ready prospects in my opinion that you can get in the first round in even you know mid first round late first round are the defensive centers that that played great defense in college especially I think he's like 
I think he's a third year. I actually don't take my word for this. I don't know how many years he played in college, but he had an excellent defensive season. He's going to clean up a lot of mistakes that Luca and Kyrie make on on defense next year. I I personally love the the Mavericks draft. But did you guys have anyone else outside the top five that that really impressed you or surprised you? I will say, just jumping on Derek Lively uh, and and the Mavs. The man, those three Texas teams probably had the three best draft nights in my You're opinion. Right. I mean, Spurs got Wemby, the Rockets, as we just discussed we think drafted super well. The Mavs got, I, I love Derek Lively at the center there. He's an incredibly raw prospect at 19 years old, but standing seven, one, he's going to be able to contribute as an inside guy and maybe like a lob finisher for Luca and hopefully Kyrie. And it's just a shot blocker. Like he's not going to be very home prospect, but he's still going to be able to, to contribute in some way. Uh, and then also dumping Bertans and his massive contract. I, I think, it was a fantastic draft night for any Texas NBA fans. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And then I was just going to throw a couple of names at you guys. We talked about Whitmore. I think he end, could end up being the steal of the draft. But a couple of other guys that I have on my radar who I think are going to be really good players, um, two of them were drafted by the Pacers in the first round. I, I really like Jarris Walker from Houston. When you think about that high screen role with Tyrese Halliburton, I mean that's that that's a pretty scary two man game that you can that you can go to right there. I mean he's six seven two fifty. I mean he looks he's a grown man. He hasn't even turned twenty yet, but I mean he he is a dude, and I think he's going to be a really good player for the Pacers. And then I like what they did in the bottom half of the draft when they picked up Ben Shepard. Uh, the the Belmont mm. uh, senior, I I think that dude is going to be a really good player. He can shoot the basketball. The Pacers are I think making all the right moves when it comes to putting players around uh, Halliburton and uh, you know the talented players that they already have on that roster. And I think Ben Shepard's going to be a good player. I mean I I I know a lot of people kind of question that pick. You know, he's he's going to be 22 years old when the season starts. So I, I think that's going to be a huge advantage for him. He's played four years of college basketball. So, I mean, I think that's going to be a big benefit to him. I think he may be a little bit more NBA ready when the season comes around. So I really like what the Pacers did in the draft. And then the other guy that I'm just kind of falling in love with is Pods, uh, Podsmiski. Uh, the the Santa Clara kid that's ended up with Golden State. I mean, I can't think of a better fit for a guy like him than going in and playing with Steph and Clay. I mean, he's an unbelievable shooter. I don't know if you guys have seen him play or seen some of his clips. I mean, the guy is just an absolute lights-out shooter. And the situation that he moves into in Golden State, where he's not going to be asked to do a lot immediately, but maybe just sit and learn, you know, from Clay and Steph. I really like his upside. I, I think he's going to be a great NBA player. And Sam, how and, you about. Know if, oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, how about Keontae George going at number 16 to the Jazz? Yeah. I think that's a great pick for them, too. That's your guy, Sam. I think. Yep, I think that's a fantastic pick. I was rooting for him to go in the lottery because that would put 
Baylor is having three straight lottery picks, which would certainly be the first time in school history that they've done that. It might even be the first time they just had three first-round picks in general. But I love him going to the Jazz. I think he, again, super young prospect at 19, but I got to watch a lot of him both on TV and in person, and he's going to bring really good on-ball defense for his size. Um, He could use some work on playmaking. He's not always a super willing passer, but incredibly difficult shot-making and uh, I think he's going to be a great spark plug player for the Jazz now with a ceiling of a, I mean, a, a really solid starting player in the NBA for years to come. There has been a couple trades or a few trades that have happened in the last week that have definitely shaken up the NBA. Arguably the biggest one of the summer so far happens to be between Boston, Washington, and Memphis. And Sam, do you have the the exact details of that trade pulled up? Yes, yes, I do. So uh, I'm going to list this by what teams received. So the Celtics receive uh, Kristaps Porzingis, the number 25 pick in the 2023 draft, which I believe... They just used that on, was uh, Marcus Sat, or they traded it to Detroit, I think. That's yeah. right. So they ended up trading that again. So that's that's already gone. And then they got a 2024 first round pick, uh, which is originally via the Warriors, is top four protected. Not that that should be an issue with the Warriors this year. So the Celtics, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, whatever they did with that 25th pick, and then a first round pick next year. The Grizzlies received just Marcus Smart. And the Wizards got Tyus Jones from the Grizzlies, uh, and then Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and the 35th pick in the draft, all from the Celtics. Cool. So let's start with the Celtics then. Sam, how do you feel about the addition of of Chris Stapps, basically swapping Chris Stapps for Marcus Smart? Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, there was rumors or a trade fell through originally for that included, I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Celtics were giving up Malcolm Brogdon to get Kristaps Porzingis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other moving parts there, but it looks like the Celtics have committed to Brogdon as being their starting point guard. I mean, I can't see them with, uh, you know, Jalen Brown's well-known, very well-known turnover problem. It's obviously not a Sun situation where you can play a traditional two guard mm-hmm. in the point guard spot. They're going to need Malcolm Brogdon to play there, but. So the depth hurts there. Uh, Brogdon was really injured in the playoffs, um, and I'd probably rather have Smart than him, but I don't hate it, it, as in slotting in Malcolm Brogdon at the point guard spot. But putting Porzingis in at the four, if they can keep him healthy, I I really like what that does for the Celtics' floor spacing. I mean, if they run a five-man lineup of which – could be ran depending on who they pick between Al Horford and Robert Williams as far as starting or running with the starters. But you have Brogdon, Brown, Tatum, Porzingis, and if you have Al Horford out there, that's five dudes who are pretty good three-point shooters. Um, still going to not have a ton of passing on that lineup, which may end up being a problem for them depending on what, how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are able to adjust their games or if the Celtics have any moves left. Um, and they... Really, I mean, the Celtics didn't even give up any depth. I mean, Gallinari was hurt all last year. They didn't even play Mike Muscala. So uh, you lose your kind of heart and soul guy in Marcus Smart. But I think 
if Jason Tatum steps up and becomes the like really the whole year in postseason is the superstar player that a lot of people know him as. I don't think that's going to be a problem for the Celtics. Um, they're in prime position to contend yet again this year. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of good points there, Sam. I think that if there was a, a position that the Celtics could make a trade for or trade out of Boston, I should say, it was at point guard slash shooting guard because I think, you know, Marcus Smart has grown with this with this core in Boston since I believe he was picked in 2014 out of Dallas. Um He's he's fit in well, and he like you said, he was the heart and soul of this team and and the vocal leader. But style wise and systematically, I think you can you know negate that with Derek White and a healthy Malcolm Brogdon for most of the season. I think that they can replace what Marcus Smart was giving you on a product on a production level, you know, statistically. But I don't know if they're going to be able to find a better leader, vocal leader, and you know another heart and soul kind of guy on the roster that that Marcus Smart is leaving that hole there. So I think that the trade was smart, but it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of philosophy and a new philosophy, I should say on offense, because the Celtics relied too much on ISO ball last year. The ball got stagnant and that's exactly the problem they ran into at the start of the season uh, a couple years ago. And then they ultimately made changes when Ime Udoka and Marcus Smart were the ones to call out the team for that isolation play and now they're both out of Boston so that's what's most interesting to me and I think that the Celtics line of thought here to bring in Porzingis is the best way to beat Boston defensively is a switching defense and I'd say the only other defense that's equally as effective is the heat zone defense that they brought out in the playoffs but that's just a that's a Miami Heat thing that I don't think any other team can run his own defense as nice as they did in the playoffs this year but besides that you bring in Chris Saps Porzingis who's 7-3 that's going to deter a lot of teams from switching and you know switching everything on offense or on defense against the Celtics because when you know you get a pretty much anyone besides a, a power forward or center switched off of Porzingis he's going to punish you in the post but that also does bring a lot of isolation ball into your offense when you add him to to the lineup because he likes to post up a lot and he is one of the best post scorers but that's going to stagnate your offense a little bit but I think that was the Celtics line of thought it's going to deter teams from switching as much and that's something that threw that made Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uncomfortable at times especially in the postseason last year but Jason do you like this move or or do you not like it yeah you guys crushed the Celtics side of things and I mean I, I don't even need to add any more to that because you guys were spot on when it come when it came to breaking down uh, what it means for the Celtics. I'm going to talk about what it means to the Grizzlies, and I I think it was an excellent move for the Grizzlies in this respect. We all know the travails of John ja Morant and everything that he has endured over the past three or four months. I mean, he's going to miss the first 25 games of the year because he was suspended for all of his nonsense and everything that he's doing off of the basketball court. And I think bringing Marcus Smart in was masterful. Because if you remember, when Marcus Smart was drafted out of Oklahoma State, he also carried some baggage. And he was also getting into some trouble off the court. He's now a nine-year veteran in the NBA. And you can bring him in as a mentor for John ja Morant and say, dude, I was doing a lot of the stuff you were doing back when I was your age 
and it's not the way to go. It's just not the way to go, dude. You, you, you got to start growing up, and I think he is going to be an excellent mentor for John Moran. I agree. You no, know, I hadn't and, even thought about it from that angle. That's Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and can you think of a better player to replace Dylan Brooks defensively? I mean, they basically just swapped out Dylan Brooks for the actual good version of Dylan Brooks and Marcus Smart. Right. Right. I think that the Grizzlies ultimately wanted to target an OG Ananobi, maybe like a Cam Johnson type guy uh, in free agency or on the trade market, but Toronto just does not seem to want to budge on any OG Ananobi trades. Masai Ujiri seems to be in love with the you know the six nine forward type guys that you know just give give him length. It ultimately hurt them last season, but for some reason he just doesn't want to move on from him, which it's his decision, but. They ended up going with Marcus Smart, who can pretty much guard all the same players that OG Ananobi would be able to guard because we've seen Marcus Smart take on guys in the post. We've seen him guard up two or three positions at times. So I think that was a home run for the for the Grizzlies here, and they definitely got a good uh, point guard to put next to John Morant. And Sam, do you see them starting Marcus Smart next to John Morant? I mean... I was thinking about that. You'd you'd have to slot Desmond Bain in at the three, um, and then run a Marcus Smart, John Morant pairing, which a lot of Celtics fans have been complaining for years that Marcus Smart isn't a true point guard, at least offensively, and we know defensively he's incredibly versatile. So, I I would not be su- surprised to see Marcus Smart play the two guard and, and start for the Grizzlies. I think that's going to be the lineup that they at least start the season with. Um, uh, yeah, that that's in order to maximize the talent they do have on that team, I see Marcus Smart starting at the two guard. And defensively, this team is going to be insane. I mean, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year two years ago, Jaron Jackson, defensive player of the year last year, those guys are going to torment opposing offenses, and I can't wait to see to see that. And I think that John Morant's going to come out with something to prove. And I think that this could be the year the Grizzlies finally, you know, prove themselves as a worthy playoff team instead of just, you know, someone that talks a lot of game and then ultimately disappears in the playoffs. Right. And, uh, and the wizard side of things, they ended up with Tyus Jones and did they get any picks, Sam? Did it say? Um, so, the Wizards got the 35th pick in this year's draft, which I believe they used on Julian Yeah, Julian Phillips out of Tennessee. Okay. So they traded Bradley Beal and Chris Stapps Porzingis, the oh, two best wait, players. I'm sorry. Um, they, they traded that pick to the Bulls. So I, I don't know what they got out of that Bulls trade, but like without that, they got just Tyus Jones, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and whatever they got from any other draft night trades. <laughs> <laughs> so and they really you, you ended up what? with nothing from for Chris right. Stapps and Bradley Beal. And and you know what I'm thinking, Jake, is what is Kyle Kuzma going to do on social media? How do you? How is he <laughs> feeling? How how is that dude feeling right now? I think he's feeling like he's about to go to a different team because I don't see him <laughs> signing in Washington after all this. I, I have heard rumors. No I've heard rumors that there's a deal close to being done that brings him to Sacramento. So that's something to keep an eye on. Okay. That could be interesting because Sacramento wanted to draft 
Keegan Murray's little brother, Chris Murray, out of Iowa. But he right. got sniped one pick before theirs in the first round. So now they're looking mm. for a new three-slash-four uh, floor spacing, two-way kind of guy. And I think Kyle Kuzma might be that. I would like that pickup of Kyle Kuzma for the Kings. Um, but for the Wizards specifically, like I said when we were talking about Scoot Henderson and Damian Lillard and the Blazers, the Wizards have finally committed to a rebuild after years Thank of, God. of questionable offseason moves that were never going to take them over the hump, that like were going to further uh, embroil them in mediocrity. They've finally fully committed to it. Uh, now, some of that I would have liked to... Uh, maybe if you're a Wizards fan, you would have liked to get a little bit more of a return for trading away Kristaps Porzingis. Um, but I think if you guys are ready to talk about the next trade, they did get a pretty good return, in my opinion, on a different trade over the last week. Yeah. So the Wizards have been pretty active this offseason, and they made a move that brings Jordan Poole to Washington in return for Chris Paul. And what's all weird to me is I thought they the the Suns were mutually parting ways with Chris Paul. There was reports that they were just going to buy him out and he's going to be able to sign wherever they want. And then all of a sudden, he's getting traded to uh the wizards and then he's getting traded from the wizards to the warriors so now he's going to be backing up steph curry in golden state which seems like we're in a parallel universe chris paul just is going to back up steph curry now that's that's crazy personally i think it's a big upgrade from jordan Poole. jordan Poole, i don't know if you guys remember this jordan Poole took a shot that got steph ejected from a game because he threw his mouthpiece in frustration because jordan Poole wouldn't pass the ball Jordan Poole is a good player, but he had a terrible season and just doesn't fit in the Warriors system. And I think that Chris Paul is going to have the perfect role for him at age 38. You know, 20 20 to 25 minutes off the bench backing up Steph. Klay Thompson is going to get excellent looks with that second unit. I don't think we're going to see as much pick and roll from Chris Paul. I think he's going to embrace the Warriors style of offense more than, you know, his traditional pick and roll slow the offense down, control the pace type of style. I think it's we're going to see an evolution from Chris Paul at age 38, as surprising as that is. And, uh, yeah, it's just weird to see a 38-year-old be the center of a trade. And another, and Rudy Gay also got traded. We'll talk about this trade next. Chris Paul at age 38 and Rudy Gay at age 36 were the center of two pretty massive trades to start this offseason. But before we get to that Rudy Gay and John Collins trade, we got to talk about this Chris, uh, this Chris Paul fit in Golden State. Any of you guys, either of you guys can jump in here. What, what, how do you feel about this? Because I'm not sure I know yet. Yeah, I can, I, I can just jump in here quick just for a second. I, I mean, like Jake said, I don't know if you could have a better fit for Chris Paul at this stage of his career because I think we saw in the postseason uh, just a few months ago, I mean, he was a liability. I mean, it, it's sad to say that a Hall of Fame point guard and one of the most – uh, important figures when it comes, you know, to the NBA and its uh, presence off the court uh, is is relegated to, you know, a reserve role now. But ultimately, that's, you know, where his career stands at this point. So, but I mean, you couldn't, you, you could not land in a better spot. Like Jake said, he's going to give uh, Golden State uh, good minutes in, uh, in that second unit. I'm just going to be interested to see if they're tempted to play Steph and uh, Chris Paul 
at the same time, I mean, it's kind of intriguing to me to get Steph off the ball a little bit and have him move around off some screens. I mean, that's that that's a nightmare uh, for opposing teams. Although when it comes to the other end of the floor, <laughs> that's going to be a problem. <laughs> that that's going to be a big problem defensively, and opposing coaches, you know, would lick their chops. You know, looking at uh, the defensive uh, disadvantage, the the advantages they could, you know, take advantage of uh, with those two guys playing in in the same backcourt. But happy for Chris Paul. I think that's going to be his final landing spot. I mean, he's played for a lot of teams. I think he would be, you know, thrilled to make a couple of playoff runs uh, with the Golden State Warriors and ride off into the sunset. Uh, yeah, I, well, my take on this initially, I I love it for the Warriors for one reason, and I'm questioning it a little bit for another reason. So the primary reason that I, I like it for the Warriors and what I think is going to benefit the Wizards is getting Jordan Poole out of there. I mean, he clearly just wants a bigger role than what the Warriors are willing to give him. Uh Obviously, it caused team chemistry issues even before the season started when he got his clock cleaned by Draymond Green. <laughs> uh, people have been talking a lot about maybe Draymond wanted it. They Draymond wanted him out of there to make sure he would come back uh, this off season, which technically he hasn't re-signed, has he? No, we're still waiting on I, uh, yeah. free agency to start yeah. in a few days to see what Draymond decides oh, to do. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're still waiting. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the Warriors retain Draymond. They might end up overpaying him, but I think they retain him. So getting Jordan Poole out of there benefits the Wizards by giving them a young, promising guard. I mean, remember, it's he had a horrendous offseason this or sorry, postseason this year, but for the Warriors' championship run last year, he was spectacular uh, and exactly what they needed in that role. So... We'll see what the Wizards can get out of them. I, I'd be excited about this one if I'm a Wizards fan. If you're a Warriors fan, you're happy to get pull out of there. You do sacrifice. I mean, their youth movement has been completely gutted. I, I remember going into last season or this season, people kept talking about, oh, man, the Warriors youth movement, and they're looking so bright future. And now James Wiseman flamed out, and he's in the place where basketball dreams have gone to die the last 10 years in Detroit. <laughs> and, and, and Jordan Poole's gone, so – the Warriors are really committing all in to get an, as much as they can out of Stephen Curry before he, I mean, ages out. The dude is 35 years old. Klay Thompson's getting up there. Draymond's getting up there. And now they add Chris Paul, who, as far as how he fits into the Warriors, I think he's going to be better for them than Draymond, or sorry, than Jordan Poole was this year. Uh, and you guys were talking about running him at the same time as Steph. They're going to have to, so I'm assuming that every minute Steph isn't on the floor, they're going to have Chris Paul in there, but I mean, in meaningful games, there's going to have to be crossover, otherwise you're going to have to cut down on Steph's minutes, or Chris Paul's only going to play eight minutes a game, because I'm looking at the Warriors, uh, Steph's minutes played uh, over the Warriors postseason run this year, and there was not a single game in this postseason that was decided by single digits, so close playoff game for the Warriors, that he played less than 37 minutes. Um, and obviously you're not going to just play. I would be surprised if they only played Chris Paul 11 minutes a game. So there'll be a little bit of crossover there. I, I, I'm I, not sure what that lineup's going to look like. I think it's very promising, um, but that this is a bit of a last gasp effort to get what they can out of this core. And I... 
I can see it either going very well and resulting in a championship or ending horrifically with a Chris Paul and Draymond Green on-court altercation, which at, at some point is inevitable. <laughs> just depends on the severity and level of violence associated with it. Uh, I don't know if you can stick those two kind of alpha dog characters in the same locker room and have them get along perfectly. So we'll see. The Warriors are yet again going to be uh, – one of the biggest pieces in the um, soap drama that is the NBA. Yeah, and to your point, Sam, they are going to have to overlap in minutes a little bit. Chris Paul and Steph Curry will. But I think the whole point of this trade was the Warriors were so bad when the ball wasn't in Steph's hands and when he was on the bench that they had to play him that many minutes. And I think that's going to free up a little bit of you know time to give Steph some rest. I and mean, Steph is getting older too. He can't. He's not going to be able to play upwards of you know, 38 minutes a game in the playoffs. They're going to need someone that can be trusted with the ball in their hands. And they didn't have that last year in Jordan Poole. They, they, he couldn't really be trusted to run the offense in that second unit. So I think that St- Chris Paul is going to take that uh, second unit role and, you know, make those minutes that Steph doesn't have the ball and he's not in the game uh, just a little more tolerable for the Warriors. So, yeah, you're right. It is going to be interesting to see how they work together on the court. And the last trade that went down, I think it happened yesterday, uh, was the John Collins trade to Utah. So Utah has been in the market. They've been reported to be looking for a player that they can pair next to Larry Markkinen that can play the three slash four role. And they got their guy in John Collins. And I think they ended up giving up Rudy Gay and uh, was it a couple second round picks. Sam, do you have that pulled up? Um, yes, I think I don't have it pulled up right now, but well, let me look it up. I'm, I believe it was just Rudy Gay and one second-round pick. One second-round pick. Um, wow. So they didn't even get a, sure a first-rounder for, for John Collins. Uh, yep, Rudy Gay and one second-round pick. I'm not sure on the year on that, but is it really that important with the second-round pick? Nope, not at all. So what was the point of this move Move for the Hawks? Um, I mean, they they needed to clear up caps. I they saw a need to clear up cap space, so the Hawks are going to owe, would have owed John Collins $78 million over the next three seasons, um, hmm. which is a lot of money for a guy that has not even close to live up to expectations. I mean, since this trade, there's been, uh, this tweet's been recirculating. It was an old Atlanta Hawks tweet. It was a picture of Kevin Durant and John Collins on the court together, and it said, uh, and. <laughs> like MVP and future MVP, which is was a crazy tweet to make anyways, but clearly the Hawks thought that Trey Young and John Collins were going to be their one-two duo of the new age. Uh, they were going to carry them to the promised land, and outside of that one conference finals run uh, a couple years ago, John Collins has been just not productive, not that level of productive for the Hawks. He looks great in a lineup on paper, but you put him out there, he just doesn't work. I... I expected them to want a little bit more of a return on this. So what I'm guessing is that the Hawks have a guy or a few guys they're looking at in free agency specifically that they desperately Mm -hmm. want, or maybe they already have some kind of deal with, and they're like, we just need to be able to pay them. So that's why they kind of gave them up for what looks like a bag of chips um, because they plan on bringing in someone else with that cap space they freed up. Yeah, so I think we covered, I think we successfully covered the draft and all the moves that have been made up until today on, on June 27th. So we have some more chaos incoming on, on June 30th when free agency starts. We'll make sure to cover all that for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to leave a rating. It definitely helps the podcast. And uh, have a great day, guys.